So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. We're into our last two weeks now of our series entitled Transformation Workshop. And these two weeks, we're focusing on the topic of perseverance. And who could have predicted, right, when we began six weeks ago that perseverance would take on a whole new relevancy? Just to review, we looked for two weeks at identity. We were remembering who we are in Christ, that we're set free from the flesh, and we're um, royal children of God. We've been adopted as beloved royal children of our Father in heaven. Then we looked for two more weeks at sensitivity, learning to hear God's word and to follow the promptings of the Spirit. And then came training, putting um, in effort to grow, saying no to appetites and distractions so that we can focus our attention on Christ, on growing spiritually, and saying yes to what will help us to grow. And now finally, perseverance. Is anyone finding it hard to persevere right now? Are we there yet? Do you feel like that kid in the back seat of the car, you know, on the long trip asking that question? It reminds me of a time when most of our kids were very young. We were living on the West Coast, and we'd gone with my parents to visit Mount St. Helens, the, the volcano. And uh, it was maybe a five or six hour drive. So we were on our way back afterwards. We were tired after a long day there. And, and as we're driving, it starts to rain. It starts to rain hard. And we hit Seattle just at rush hour. And, and it starts raining harder and harder so that the traffic basically stops to a standstill, probably six or eight lanes of traffic. And so now a long trip has turned into an even longer one. And one of our children at the time was like about one year old and they were in the back seat, strapped into a car seat and they're tired, they're hungry, they're just sick of sitting and they start crying. And, and we can't do anything to help them. We're in a downpour, we're on the interstate, we're boxed in by stopped cars all around us. And uh, pretty soon the cries in the backseat turn into wails and then they just turn into total ear piercing screams. Our one year old was saying in the only way that they could, are we there yet? Does anyone feel a little bit that way inside yet? Or, or do you know someone who feels like that? Well, guess what? That feeling is what the Christian life feels like at times. And for the past couple, or for these last couple weeks, um, as we have been um, talking about growing in our faith, about being transformed to be more like Jesus, we've been talking about how it's like a race. And it takes training, right? If we want to win, if we want the prize that, that's available to us at the end, we have to train. And so today we focus on the fact that this race is not actually a sprint, it's a marathon. And so we have to persevere. We have to endure. If you've ever run long distance, whether it was a mile in gym class or, or whether it was maybe a 5K or longer, then you know there are times when, when you run that Everything in you wants to stop and wants to quit. Your body, your legs, your lungs. And so if you're going to finish, you have to push your body. And you have to toughen your mind. You have to persevere. 
And that's definitely true in the race, which is the Christian life and which is transformation. That's what we're training for. That's what we're running for. And that's what the writer of Hebrews encourages us in in today's passage. This writer, who we don't know who, who they are, but they're writing to a group of followers of Jesus who are feeling tempted to give up in the race. The race has gotten hard for them. It's gotten long, and they're tired. They want to quit. And, and listen how our passage recognizes this fact. Verse 3, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Anyone ever run so long that your arms felt tired and your knees felt weak? Well, sometimes we feel that way spiritually too. I, I know I've experienced this many times when spiritual training gets hard, the change that we're seeking comes slowly, the course is long, I get tired, I get discouraged, sometimes it hurts, sometimes I just get distracted or I lose motivation. And so if I, if we are going to be transformed, if we are going to win the amazing prize which awaits us at the end of the race, we're going to have to learn to persevere. Interesting, three times in our passage we're encouraged to persevere or to endure. It's the same Greek word, it's translated both ways depending on your English translation. In verse 1, we're told, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Then in verse 2, we hear that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And then verse 3, we're encouraged to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Endure, endure, endure. Persevere, persevere persevere. Why? Because the road is long. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes we feel fatigued. We feel tired. Sometimes we, we doubt. We stumble. We fall. We scrape our knee. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we suffer. We face trials. The question is, are we going to give up? Are we going to quit? Are we going to step out of the spiritual race and say, I'm going to find something else to do? I'm going to find a different way to live my life. Are we going to give up on the transformation process, the process by which we grow to become more and more like Christ? Well, today's passage addresses how we feel and the trials, the sufferings that we might experience along the way. And it doesn't tell us why God allows hardships and trials and sufferings into our life. It doesn't tell us why, but it does tell us how God uses them for our transformation. Verses 5 to 13 are all about discipline, right? I, I count the word discipline nine times in these verses. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Interesting that the Greek word here translated discipline is paideia, and it's the word we get pedagogy from, and also the word we get encyclopedia from. And it means instruction. It means basic education. And this is important to know about this word because sometimes we hear discipline and we hear punishment. But the focus here isn't punishment. The focus is training and education. And the reality back then, of course, was that, that discipline, uh, rather training and instruction did involve punishment. Fathers took a big role in the education and the training of their children 
because there were no public schools back then. And so fathers would hire tutors for their children, but they were very involved as well as fathers. And fathers and tutors both used punishment more often than we do today. You know, spare the rod and spoil the child was definitely their motto, especially because education back then wasn't just informational, it was also moral. It was about character formation. So that's the backdrop to this word that, that's translated discipline in many of our Bibles. It's not a punishment word. It's an education word, a training word, but with teeth, with discipline. And God is our father, and he lets us go through hard times, even things that hurt, that feel like punishments. And again, our passage doesn't tell us why we suffer, why these bad things happen to us, but it does tell us how God uses them in our lives. God uses them for our education, for our training. Why? Because he loves us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. And so verse 7 encourages us, endure hardship as discipline. You know the classic parenting line, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, right? Our parents said this to us, and as kids, we didn't believe it. But as we grow, as, as some of us become parents, we feel the responsibility of raising our kids right, and we love them, and we want them to grow and to mature, and, and we recognize, if we're wise parents, that part of that means disciplining them, even though we hate to see them unhappy. Well, that's how God feels toward us. So think of the hardships you face, Hebrews says, as part of your training, as part of your education. Endure hardships as discipline. They will make you stronger. They will increase your endurance. They will give you grit. They will give you perseverance. They will give you resilience. Boy, do we need resilience right now. And patience and maturity. You remember that, that really popular song back in the 80s, Eye of the Tiger? It was in the Rocky movies. Rising up, straight to the top, had the guts, got the glory, went the distance, now I'm not going to stop, just a man and his will to survive. Had the guts, got the glory. No guts, no glory, right? No guts, and you won't finish the race. Because it's a marathon, not a sprint. It requires training. It requires perseverance. And so God wants to help us gain guts. And so our Father, because he loves us, because he understands it's a long race, and because he wants us to finish and to win and to get the prize at the end, he trains us, he educates us, he disciplines us, for our good, so we'll grow, so we'll develop guts, so we'll have inner fortitude and resilience, so we'll have what it takes to finish the race. So Hebrews tells us, endure hardships as discipline. And to help us to do this, Hebrews encourages us with stories. Our passage in Hebrews 12 is just the completion of Hebrews 11, which is the great faith chapter. It tells story after story of people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and others. And, and these are all people who persevered, people who kept the faith, who sometimes 
uh, kept it through incredible hardships and trials. These are witnesses, Hebrews tells us, a great cloud of witnesses. Their stories are testimonies for us to encourage us um, that we can make it like they did, that it's worth it to keep running, to not give up, because in the end, a great prize awaits. Listen to chapter 11, verse, verses 13 and following. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So how do you persevere? Well, one way is you read, you remember stories of other witnesses who persevered. Who, who ran before us, who ran well, who didn't give up. You let them inspire you. They're in our Bible. Read about Abraham. Read about David before he became king. These kinds of stories are also in Christian biographies. Uh, David Brainerd, Gladys Aylward, Hudson Taylor, so many others. They set examples for us, just like we read about in the Bible. These kinds of stories, whether in scripture or Christian biography, they encourage us to hang in there. They motivate us. They remind us of why it's worth it. But then in our passage, we get one more example, one more witness, the best one, the most important one, Jesus himself. Verses two and three, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus. He's our ultimate example. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. The pioneer, he's the one who founded, who started the race and who mapped out the course for us. The perfecter, Jesus is also the, the first one to finish it, to perfect it, to run it better and further than anyone else. How? Hebrews tells us he went to the cross. He took the way of the cross, the most shameful experience anyone could experience in that culture. Jesus didn't shy away from it. The, the cross was there on the course like a, a hurdle to be overcome. And Jesus kept to the path, kept in his lane, not avoiding it, not going around it. He didn't let the shame of the cross or the pain of the cross deter, deter him from running, from sticking with the course. Why? Because he kept his eyes on the prize. He knew there would be joy when the race was done. For him, glory, power, victory, sitting down as king of the whole creation at the right hand of God. For us who come after him in the race, we get to share in that one day. We get to reign with him. We get to enjoy the glory, the celebration, the, the love and the belonging, the purpose and the responsibility of leading, of running, of stewarding and caring for this creation, this world, so that it's done the way it should be done, as Jesus teaches us how and the way it was meant to be done. And this takes us back to our identity, right? That we're royal sons and daughters, 
of the King of Kings. We're going to inherit and rule over his kingdom. And right now we're in training for it. We're being educated. We're being shaped. We're being disciplined. We're having character be developed in us so that we're prepared for that awesome future. So look at Jesus who went ahead of us. Notice that the race involves a cross. It involves suffering. Don't be surprised by suffering. The race involves laying down your life in love, in self-sacrifice for others. Yes, it will be hard at times. Our knees will feel weak. We'll feel weary. We'll be tempted to lose heart. So look at Jesus, Hebrew says. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He shows us the way to run. Cross first, then victory. Good Friday suffering, then Easter Sunday victory. Guts, then glory. The race may seem long, but there is a prize at the end. It's worth it to persevere. So how do we persevere? Well, we've already seen two ways. First, we take the time to read and remember the stories of other races, racers, other witnesses. In the Bible, in Christian biographies, we could also um, add real people that we know. I know people in this church, maybe you do too, who have persevered through great trials, and they've learned the secret treasure of growth, of transformation that those trials contain. And these people can all encourage us to, to hang in there and to persevere. Um, we're we're going to hear one more story from someone in this church in, in a few minutes. Second way to endure to persevere is to focus on Jesus, to read and remember his story. And don't skip over the part where he tells us that we need to take up our crosses and follow him because that's part of the race. It's a key part. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on him. Follow the course that he set out, cross and resurrection, suffering and victory, self-sacrificial love and power, death to self, and miraculous life. Let me close with this. Writer and pastor Rob Reimer once asked, which of these sounds right? God will sacrifice your character to make you a person of comfort, or God will sacrifice your comfort to make you a person of character? Obviously the second one, right? Writer Barbara Taylor Brown tells this story. She says, several summers ago, I spent three days on a barrier island where massive loggerhead turtles were laying their eggs. One night while the tide was out, I watched a huge female heave herself up the beach to dig her nest and lay her eggs. Afraid of disturbing her, I left before she had finished her work, but I returned the next morning to see if I could find the spot where her legs lay hidden in the sand. What I found were her tracks, only they led in the wrong direction. Instead of heading back out to sea, she had wandered into the dunes, which were already hot as asphalt in the morning sun. A little way inland, I found her, exhausted and all but baked, her head and flippers caked with dried sand. After pouring seawater on her and covering her with sea oats, I fetched a park ranger who returned with a jeep to rescue her. As I watched in horror, he flipped her over on her back 
wrapped her tire chains around her front legs and hooked the chains to the trailer uh, hitch of his Jeep. Then he took off, yanking her body forward so fast that it seemed her open mouth filled with sand and then disappeared underneath her as her neck bent back so far I was afraid it would break. The ranger hauled her over the dunes and down onto the beach. I followed the path that the prow of her shell cut in the sand. At Ocean's edge, he unhooked her and turned her right side up again. She lay motionless in the surf as the water lapped at her body, washing the sand from her eyes and making her skin shine again. Then a particularly large wave broke over her and she lifted her head slightly, moving her back legs as she did. As I watched, she revived. Every fresh wave brought her life back to her until one of them made her light enough to find a foothold and push off back into the water that was her home. Watching her swim slowly away and remembering her nightmare ride through the dunes, I noted, and listen to this, I noted that it is sometimes hard to tell whether you are being killed or being saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Sometimes it is hard to tell whether you are being killed or being saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Isn't that a good word for us at this moment as we seek to persevere? Well, we talked about the, the importance of stories and the values that stories have and hearing stories of how other people have persevered and grown through it. And we have someone who's going to tell their story today. Is she with us? Yes. Hi, Dick. Hi, Emily. So I'm going to turn it over to Emily as she shares her story. Okay, wonderful. Let me know if you can't hear me. I'm a little nervous about my internet connection. Can you hear me okay? Okay, perfect. Well, hi, everyone. It's so wonderful to see you. Um, I'm just going to share very briefly um, essentially some things that have happened in my life that um, when Dick and I were talking about hardship and, and suffering and perseverance, um, I realized I really um, would love to share just because I know some of you very, very well, and I'm pretty sure some people in the church have no idea who I am, um, and it's just um, a privilege to be able to share. Um, but most importantly, I, I also want to say thank you to the church and just share a little bit um, about my relationship with God. But to start briefly about what has happened in my life, again, I think this is probably just the facts. I don't want to spend too much time on them, but um, when it comes to hardship, I don't know about you, but in my life, it's like when it rains, it it pours, but for so long it was extremely sunny. And I really, um, I grew up in a secular home, but it was very healthy, had a lovely childhood. Um, I came to walk with Christ at 13. So that was a pretty um, immediate transformation. And that just brought so much um, to my life. It really defined my life moving forward. So I had this really healthy group of friends that didn't walk with the Lord, but I had this ministry around me. And then in high school and college, I was just flourishing with this new fellowship that I found. Um, but then, you know, in my twenties, um, still, still very sunny, I'd say, but a year before I moved to New York, 
Uh, my dad passed away suddenly. I was actually living in France at the time, and I just got a call at 3.30 in the morning that he was gone. And um, that was very painful, um, but also a chance for me and my faith to show the people in my life okay, every day is not um, given, it's not promised, and that's why it's so important to walk with the Lord day by day. Um, but then when I moved back to New York, I think that grief really hit because it really hit me that my dad wasn't here. Um, it made sense that he wasn't abroad, but when I moved to New York, um, it had been less than a year that he had passed, and it was just an abrupt realization that he was really gone. And then, um, and then I, I think in that time I started to join, to come to CBC and with my work schedule, it looked very sporadic, but um, then within that year, I did an extremely trying time with my spouse. Uh, we had been married for five years to that, uh, up to that point, and he was exhibiting a lot of mental health um, struggles. And we actually did decide to temporarily separate. Um, it was always my intention just to get him help and then pursue our marriage for the rest of my life. Um, and he decided in that time to make our separation permanent, which was extremely devastating. Um, it's a very surreal experience that I never thought I'd ever go through. And, um, a lot of you may not have even known that was happening when I was meeting you, but I was um, pursuing my husband until essentially I wasn't allowed to anymore. Um, so that's kind of just the, the backgrounds. Um, but I do want to say, just pause and say thank you so much to the church because, you know, some of, for example, Janice, that Bible study that I found, um, really pretty randomly before I even started going to the church, that Bible study was just so formative, you know, meeting uh, with you, Kim and Maria and Jillian and Peter. I don't want to name all the names because I know I'll leave out so many important people. Kathy, um, it was just such a place of refuge. And what's so amazing about the church is you can know that you can just jump into deep waters of community and intimacy and relationship and the way that you can't in the world. And especially when you're making new friends, it's very awkward just to say, okay, my dad died. I think my husband's leaving me. Let's talk about that. But in the church, you really can. And even when we didn't talk about that, there was such an intimacy just diving into scripture and, and singing and just receiving your community. Um, and there's just so many people at the church that were so faithful as things escalated. And, um, but I really want to tell you that even just the greeters at the door, um, in the past, I had really been a leader in faith and led Bible studies was really, um, kind of a pillar for strength for a lot of my family when my dad passed. Um, and I had just been a leader in so many ways. My husband actually was a worship leader at one point. Um, before he kind of walked away from his faith. And it was so humbling for me in this season of perseverance just to be then on the receiving end and knowing that, okay, that it's really hard to come to church alone and to have someone that's so friendly and not, you know, judging how long it's been since I'd been there last and 
just every little effort that you do, you never know what someone's going through. And it really, it was a realization for me how much we need each other in different seasons. Um, and so I just want to say thank you. That was a big part of me sharing. I just want to thank the church and encourage you that whether you know it or not, your faithfulness does really um, matter and it is a big deal. So um, the last thing I'll just share is, um, oh, the last note on that, just in terms of walking with others, I would encourage you as well. Um, you know, if you do have the privilege of knowing what's going on in someone's life, I would say, or maybe you wanted to reach out, but a long time has passed um, with grief and, and hardships. I would say it's never too late just to lean in and do something for someone. Um, because like with my dad, there was a delay in my processing of grief. And I would just say, um, please don't hesitate to, to, you know, I think a lot of people um, say, oh, I don't want it to be awkward or I don't want to bring up something hard. Well, that person is probably thinking about it all the time. So um, just don't hesitate to do something awkward and it'll probably go a long way for them. Um, now, the last bit just about my relationship with God, um, you know, just to share just a very little bit, I would say. There was such a peace and pleasure for me, even in the hardest times, just to know that I was doing the right thing. Um, so if you are going through a hard time or a crisis, I just would encourage you. It was so comforting to me to know, for example, pursuing my marriage, no matter what, no matter how I was criticized or mistreated, it brought me so much peace. and. You know, it wasn't as much angst um, to figure out what to do when you're holding on to the truth you know and doing what is right. So I just would never minimize doing the right thing can be extremely comforting, even um, in a chaotic time. So even with the, the um, you know, current ongoing crisis we're in, just keep doing the right thing. And I think it will bring so much peace. Um, that really also brought so much intimacy with the Lord and not that we don't make mistakes, but, um, you know, if I'm honest, there has been a shift at times and when it is really sad, um, you know, it did feel at times more distant and still does sometimes, but I would just encourage you. It never has felt like the abandonment you know, that you might experience from other people. I've always felt that God is with me and, um, well, you know, he's not a genie that just promises, you know, you do good and good things will happen. Life is really complex. And I think there's so much beauty and just sitting in the sadness and trusting the Lord and knowing, okay, I might not aggressively be learning so much in scripture right now but what i need in this quiet time is just to sit in the lord's presence and i would sometimes just read one line of one psalm over and over for 30 minutes and that was my time with the lord and i would just encourage you if you're you know especially if you're kind of um like me and like to check things off it's okay to just not be as productive um, during hard times, but it's probably more productive to really seek out the Lord's spirit and just sit with him. 
Um, so I'll pause there. I guess the last thing I would just say, of course, if you are going through anything, sorry, that's my cat. Um, I would just say, you know, if you have experienced grief or abandonment, of course, um, like I believe the Lord is with you and will see you through, but I am also here and please don't hesitate to message me or, you know, we can get on a phone call. Certainly now I have lots of time. So it's such a delight to just share what's been going on. And I just hope this is an encouragement to everyone.